Trainer's Trough, Episode 002. Saturday, November 25th, 2006. Hi there. You've downloaded the Trainer's Trough, a podcast for the nuclear training professional where the topic is heavy, but the treatment is light. Hi again, and welcome to episode two of the Trainer's Trough. Got the second one ready to hang on the vine, which is uh, a good thing. Let's see. For those of you that are new to the podcast, this is the only the second one, so that means most of you. Um, once again, a review. I am Gary Van Voris. I am the host of the Trainer's Trough podcast, and I'm also the webmaster of the trainerstrough.com website that is the host for the podcasts. As I mentioned in uh, podcast number 001, I'm a practicing nuclear trainer. I'm a senior instructor at a nuclear power plant in Connecticut and uh, wanted to do something for the industry that would be creative and fun and maybe useful. And so I decided I would start podcasting specifically for people who are nuclear trainers and the idea being that, since I didn't think I had a whole lot to add to the party, that I would act as an intermediary and try and identify interesting people who would be willing to be interviewed for the trainer's trough, and uh, that they would uh, provide us with some you know, interesting grist for the mill to be able to consider our trade. Today's interview is with uh, a woman by the name of Rebecca Mattern, who is just finishing up her doctorate at the University of Delaware. And her specialty is kind of twofold. Uh, one, it involves active learning. And the second thing that it involves is that uh, she's also done specialized research work in the area of student motivation. You know, why, why do students... Uh, do what they do. What, when do. Why do they work hard when they work hard? And what are some of the things that, that we can do to get our students to work harder? Um, obviously, well, not so obviously, obviously to me because I've heard her. Her primary uh, student population is college students. She's a, a doctoral candidate. She's teaching at the University of Delaware. For the most part, she's got undergraduate teacher students that she works with who are her research subjects. But I talked to her in the interview and, and I asked her whether or not the 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 effects or the principles that she works with would be pretty much the same regardless of the population. And the answer was, for the most part, yeah, that some of the dynamics are the same. So I thought it would be worth putting her on because, first of all, she talks about how to use problem-based learning as a tool in the classroom, and I think that could be really valuable, you know, for us. And then secondarily, her issues on motivation, student motivation, um, I thought were the kinds of things that would be uh, possibly helpful for us to have an understanding of what are some of the reasons. Uh, she had a great line in there that she talks about how there's a difference between how we treat material at our level of understanding and how our students treat our material when they come in from the outside and they don't uh, they don't have our background and knowledge. Obviously, which is you know why are we being you know why are we why are we being the teachers and they the students? 
Um, I thought it was a really, really pretty interesting thing. Stop for a gulp there. You'll probably hear me taking hot tea. It's about uh, 8 o'clock at night on a Saturday night, trying to get this second podcast into the rack. And um, at the end of the day, and uh, reading, actually read a 75-page little kid book to my granddaughter before putting her to bed, so the vocal cords are not in the very best of shape at the end of that. So it was a little, little blueberry tea to see if I could lube the cords to be able to get this out. Um, as is always the case with podcasts, there's an interest in getting to know the audience and hearing from the audience. If you'd like to get in touch with me, I can be emailed at bigpig at trainerstrough.com. I have an email address set up there on the website. Again, that's bigpig, B-I-G-P-I-G, at trainerstrough, one word, dot com. You could always Google trainerstrough, and I'm sure it'd get you to it. Um, and I'm Big Pig. Um, I mentioned a few things at the beginning of the, the last show, and I, I thought I'd add on to that. People say, you know, I've had a few folks that said, well, where did you come from Trainer's Trough, and what's the deal with the website and the pig mascot and stuff? And uh, my answer to that is that, well, of course, I was trying to think of something that I could use as a, uh, a website that I could hang the podcasts on. I didn't want to use a blog or something like that. I wanted to have my own independent domain name. And if you listen to this and you say, hey, boy, this bozo, I could do this. I could do it better than he could. You may well be right. And if you decide you want to get involved, first of all, <laughs> give me an email and, and we'll set up a dialogue because I could, I've probably got over $1,000 worth of, of money spent in this. I bought three different kinds of microphones I've uh, got a lot of stuff that I've picked up along the way, and I might be able to give you some ideas about what you might want to do and what you might, might not want to do. Um, secondarily, I, I wanted to have something that I wouldn't be just a blog. And so I was like, you know, what, what would be a good name? And I thought, well, man, trainer's trough, you know, someplace where nuclear trainers could come and just pig out on stuff that's interesting to the profession. And then the website is actually designed to look like a restaurant menu because one of the one of the guys I work with said, hey, you know, why don't you pretend it's a restaurant? The trainer's trough would be a great name for a restaurant. You can put everything into a menu category. So, for instance, the Tasty Takeout are these podcasts. They're the things you can take away. And there's uh, tasty tidbits, uh, you know, little things that you might want to think about in the trade. And then entrees, full-blown articles and such that I'm going to put in. So, so that was the reason for that. Um, kind of let you know a little bit about us um, me. There's really an us. Right now there's a me and there's you if you're listening. So let me know what you think at bigpig at trainerstrough.com. Tell me anything you might want to see on the website or in the podcasts. I have more interviews lined up for us as we go along. My goal is to get out one a month and um, try and entertain me. And I'll admit I'm a frustrated entertainer. I think a lot of trainers are. And also do something which, in fact, has some benefit for us. So today, hopefully, that benefit is going to be Rebecca Mattern talking about uh, problem-based learning and, um, and motivating students. And with that in mind, I'm going to cut to, to, uh, to Becky, as she's known to her friends. It's about an 11-minute interview, so today's show won't be very long. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to milk the cow. When it's over, it's over. Um, hopefully, you'll learn some good stuff, and, and we'll put another one uh, kind of in the can. So here's, 
Here's my interview, which was conducted last August on a morning in Virginia with Rebecca Mattern. My guest this morning is Rebecca Mattern of the University of Delaware. Rebecca, tell us a little about yourself. Okay. Well, I went to and did my undergrad work at Elon University. I applied to a few different schools and went to the University of Delaware. Um, was really impressed with their program, the instructors there, and have been at Delaware for the last five years working on my PhD in educational psychology. And I have been focusing my research interests um, over the last couple years, and my dissertation is focused on students' academic motivation. So I'm looking at why students are motivated to be successful in their classes. Are, are, your, are the subjects of your research generally undergraduate students, are they young people? Yes, they're, um, my participants are all undergraduates, primarily freshmen and sophomores in college. A question for you, do you, do you have any experience or does the research that you've studied give you any sense that what would motivate older people would be different. In other words, since this podcast is primarily for working nuclear trainers mm -hmm. who have <clears throat> currently a more mature student body, mm -hmm. do you think we would see a difference in motivators between young people and a more mature student? Well, actually, a lot of the research that's done looks at, let me stop for a second and say that the theoretical framework that I'm kind of working under is a theory called achievement goal theory and basically this goal this theory is stating that if you want to understand students motivation or students of any age their motivation you have to look at the goals that they have so for instance I might have a goal to really understand the, the material and kind of develop my ability and my skills get better at something over time so my goal is to I really got to figure this information out I really got to understand it as opposed to someone else who might have a goal coming into the classroom of saying, I really need to get a good grade in this class. And how I'm gonna do that is I'm gonna show my professor and I'm gonna show my peers how smart I am, how good I am at something. So a lot of times we see students, you know, kind of doing this and sometimes they're really successful. They get good grades depending on the course. So those are kind of two different um, types of motivation. The achievement goal theory then was looking at these two different kinds of goals, but the research is showing that these goals are applicable for children in first grade, second grade, all the way up to college students. So where you might see individuals' goals changing a little bit over time, perhaps, the, both of those goals are apparent, regardless if you're talking about a second grader or a 24-year-old. You might see from individual to individual different types of goals being pursued, but in general, the theory is very applicable to um, any age of learner. So it's take a look at the, the learner's goals and move on from there. Right, let's look at the reasons that they're engaged in this activity. Applicable to anybody. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, that's great. It's great for an, a nuclear instructor to be able to think that uh, we could just take a look at an interesting perspective anyway why are why are people here if you want to mm -hmm. know what motivates people maybe your first causes are if you want to improve performance be clear about why people are there mm -hmm. and and assumably different people have different goals then 
in the same classroom. Right. Different classroom, different people can have different goals. One of the most interesting parts of the research for me as an instructor is that even though a student might come in with a goal um, of saying they're just really trying to get a good grade or really trying to show you how smart they are, sometimes that type of goal doesn't always lead to kind of a deep understanding or full engagement in something. Um, if you kind of think about it in terms of a student who's just trying to get a good grade, sometimes if you think when they're studying for a test, for example, perhaps they are the student who is cramming the night before, memorizing all that they can so they can get into the class the next day, get a good grade on the test, take the test, walk out of the classroom. None of that information was really learned. None of it, if you ask them a day later, a week later, a year later, they're not able to apply that material. They're not able to um, give you um, a good, uh, you know, describe to you, give you an understanding of what they took from that class. So sometimes when we have students who come into the classroom very focused on just showing you how smart they are or getting a good grade, we want to kind of focus them more on, you know, developing their ability. And one of the great things about that is that your classroom, you can influence the goals that someone adopts. So if I have a student who comes into me kind of, you know, eager about their grades and to the point where it's causing them not to learn at the level I want them to, I can, through my instruction in my classroom environment, create situations where they focus less on that and they focus more on trying to get an understanding of the material. So you can almost, well, I was going to say trick your students, but you're not really tricking them, but you can be a tactician and you can have classroom tactics that will lead the student to learn more even though their initial goal right. or their motivator was just the grade. Mm -hmm. You can set up an environment where mm -hmm. they'll learn and hopefully still get the good grade, right? right. You're not really going right. to subvert that. Good grades are good. No, that's great. That's great. It's important in our society and schooling. And what I kind of focus on is if you get the understanding, if you focus on that and you're motivated by that, the grade is going to come. It's going to come natural because you learned this material, you understand it, and then to show that to a professor in some type of assessment will be that much easier for you because you put in the work to actually learn it in the beginning. Now our time together is brief and one of the goals for my show is always to give nuclear instructors or anybody who might download the material um, tools in the toolbox. Could you give some examples of things that you do to make that happen? Sure. Well, one of the big things um, that I try to do is focus on kind of active or learner-centered instruction. One example of that is problem-based learning. So in problem-based learning, um, you start with a problem, you give the students a real-world situation or a real-world problem to try to figure out and solve. And in that solving of the problem, they work together in groups, and you design it so they go through different stages of the problem-solving process. And through this um, engagement in these problem-solving activities, they become more focused on, I need to figure this problem out, I need to help this person, or I need to solve this problem. So they're focused more on the learning issues at hand, the real learning issues that they have to um, that they have to solve in order to make the, you know, the problem, solve the problem. 
With problem-based learning, because they're engaged in a real-life problem, they start to be motivated by an, their own personal interest in solving the problem or a situational, I'm really interested in this situation, so I'm going to solve the problem. Um, or I want to solve this problem, I need to know A, B, and C, so I need to really understand A, B, and C because I want to solve the problem. So in all of that is saying that their motivation then becomes more of, I have to learn this because I have to be able to use what I know in this um, problem situation. So that's one example of how to encourage students to focus more on the learning, more on the understanding than just the grade. Rebecca, thanks very much for taking the time to be with us. Any last thoughts, exhortations, tips? Uh, you've got, uh, you know, there's 105 nuclear plants around the country. We're going we're gonna to put the podcast up on, on trainerstrough.com for any nuclear trainer to download it. Uh, words of wisdom to the nuclear training community. Um, I guess the one thing that I would say to focus on is trying to think about how what you're teaching is relevant to your students in your class. It might sometimes be a lot more clear how that how the information is relevant for you as an instructor with your background knowledge and your you know developed um, specific understanding of the different topics that you teach but sometimes I think we need to make that more relevant to the students so think about why it's important that your students learn this material and try to design your classroom activities around that idea of making that apparent to them this is important because in this situation, in this real world situation, you're going to have to know this and you're going to have to apply it. So, you know, design classroom activities that show that to students, that demonstrate that for students. That's a great tip. The idea that you come in and, and as an experience, almost like the parent that says mm -hmm. to the child, you, I know why you're going to need this. And of course, when you're a kid, you never think you're going to need it. It's never quite so apparent. And then when that bad situation happens and you go, what is it mom or dad told me? What do I do when? Right. <laughs> you know, here's how to turn on the stove, feed the cat, whatever. And then they go away on vacation. You go, they told me to do it. Where was the cat food? They told me where the cat food was. That's, that's, a, that's a great tip is to, you know, it's that, the old adage about walk a mile in somebody's moccasins to turn yeah. it around. Be the student. Mm -hmm, what's mm -hmm. it like to be that student right right and I think it's very I've, uh, someone at um, Kiwani had just said that to me after the, my talk said you know it's just like kids you can't tell kids what to do all the time sometimes you have to show them and you have to demonstrate it for them or they have to be put in a situation where they have to use those skills and then once they're in that situation then they've got it it's a lot it's a lot easier from then on well thanks a lot for dropping in with us sure um, well, I guess that's it. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Well, uh, again, quick, only about 11 minutes. It was probably double that, but I took the liberty of removing some of the background information that I didn't think would be germane for us. And actually, Rebecca did a um, very considerable uh, description of how she uses something called peer editing, where she gives, of course, she has the opportunity to give assignments to her students that they have to prepare and then bring back to class, uh, you know, these semester-long classes that she's involved in with her students. You've got 15 weeks uh, to, to play around with people. Ooh, little 
trainer meta training there. A lot of verbal connectors. I have to just pause and not worry, not do those ums. Did one right there. So Rebecca uses uh, peer editing as a way of having people provide feedback to one another in which either she selects or they can select their own peers to edit from. I didn't include it because it seemed like very little of the training we do really allows for the, the assignment of uh, take-home work to our students. For the most part, our students are learning in the classroom, especially if you work in a union power plant, the degree to which you can give assignments to people where they're going to take it home and do it. It's pretty limited. Most of the time we have to prepare learning, which is going to be done right in the here and now. And if we're going to provide people with uh, with assignment type stuff, we have to provide them with the with the opportunity to learn it right in class with with a few exceptions. If you were doing engineering support training where you might have the opportunity with certain staff people to uh, have it be appropriate, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't have a boy, I don't have a pause button here, a cough button. So you're just going to have to listen to me cough. If you did have a population that would allow you to, to send work home and then have another class where you could actually get together and discuss it, you might want to be able to use that peer editing. It might be a tactic for you, and um, which kind of brings me, segues me to the next point. At the end of the interview, I had asked Rebecca, would you mind if I provided your email address in the podcast or in the show notes to allow for interested individuals to contact you directly about any of your research or about their classroom needs. And she was very gracious. She said, no, not at all. I wouldn't mind doing that. So if you look at the show notes, I don't want to put it out over the podcast. But it, it's pretty easy to get to the show notes, too, but I just didn't want to blast it out over the air, if you will. But I do have Rebecca Mattern's uh, uh, University of Delaware email address on the, the show notes on the website that you could download if you wanted to communicate with Rebecca directly about either learner-centered active learning materials or thoughts or problem-based learning and how she's done it. Um, sorry about the hum. There was some wicked, understandably wicked background noise in, in that interview. You know, I had, <clears throat> I don't think I had bought a, as a matter of fact, I know I hadn't brought a mixer at that point. I was using a little USB gizmo to, to interview Rebecca directly into my computer. I had bought a second microphone. There was a microphone for each of us. That was an investment. And I was hoping that that would do the trick. There were a couple of things that happened there that, that I just didn't understand. One was the problem that comes in when you use an office, or in that case it was a classroom, small classroom environment with a very loud HVAC system in the ceiling that was, we were picking up a lot of background hum and a lot of echo in that room. And then secondarily, I didn't have a sign to hang on the door that said, recording an interview, please keep out. And there were a group of people who mistakenly thought that, that our room was their room. And so all that, eh, here. Uh, I didn't really, <laughs> I didn't really record it in a train station, although you'd begin to wonder. It was just people who thought they were supposed to be in that room, and they'd come in and they'd see the microphones on the desk, and they'd get wide-eyed and go, and they'd mouth something like, I'm sorry, and then they'd back out. But it was a very squeaky door, so eh, clunk, eh, clunk. So the bottom line, um, the ambiance was not the best for the interview. Again, it was only a little over 11 minutes, so sorry. I'm going to try and do better in the future. Um, matter of fact, I even tried some noise processing to try and get that noise out using some software. 
But the only thing that would happen was that when you do that, you'd also, since it's taking away certain frequencies, the voices of the people started to sound really weird because the frequency of the noise and the frequency of our voices sometimes overlapped and it's just a little strange. So I couldn't do it. I couldn't use it in the end. I just had to be willing to suck it up and deal with it, which I did. So, and and by the way, again, I'm putting a plug in from, from my friend Mike Versteeg over in Holland. Uh, I'm using Cast Blaster to do this. So this is a sort of one-take thing. Unlike some podcasters, I do not take my podcast and run it through post-production. About the only thing I might do is use a free product from Gigavox Media called Levelator that would compress it so that it's loud enough, consistently loud. So even if you hear it in your car or um, and not just in your iPod or MP3 player earbuds that you... Um, that you can get a good clear sound out of it. So kind of what we see is what we get. And I notice, I don't mean to be a time freak. I think I was really a time freak on the first podcast. And I'm going to get better. They say that the first 10 of these you do, you should throw in the wastebasket because they're so awful. But I just went to 25 minutes. And I don't want them to go more than half an hour. My, like I said in my first podcast, I listen to them in the car. I have an hour and a half one-way commute, so I can listen to a lot of podcasts in that much time, three hours a day. But I know most of you can't. So again, thank you so much for listening, for tuning in. Please do take advantage of uh, the opportunity to use the uh, big pig at trainerstrough.com to let me know what you might want to see or any comments that you have. Uh, Dialogue, I'm here for you. I really, without an audience... I'm just talking into a microphone and, and making stupid recordings and putting them on the internet. If you've got something you're interested in or something that you really liked or that you don't like, please let me know. It's the essence of two-way uh, instruction. And until the next time, when I've got another interview and hopefully some more information for you, thanks for listening. See you the next time around. Cast Blaster.